1: Alastair to Matt, Chicago Bears history by the decade. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm partnering up for this special podcast series with lifelong Bears fan and historian Matt Winter. Matt, we are actually
2: alive for this decade. It's the 1980s. 1982, some would say the most important year ever when you and I get born. But Jeff, to quote Bill's parcels, this is why we lift all them weights. We finally got <laughs> to the 1980s. We finally got to 1985. Let's get it going. Yeah, we paid our dues for sure.
1: to super fans born in '82, uh, not necessarily alive in a conscious football way by 1985. But you know, we we are approaching this decade like we have all the others because we have to go back and really research this and study it as fans looking at the past, not necessarily trusting anything that we would have known from our zero to eight years old years but we're going to do our best if you were around and alive for the 80s and are listening to this and you know we've got some stuff wrong obviously let us know uh but you know just take some mercy on us we're doing our best looking at this in hindsight but like all the episodes i need to start off with cocktails and as good as the 80s were for the bears they were bad for cocktails matt uh terrible Ooh. decade for cocktails. It's basically like pre-mixed mixers. They sort of kill fresh juice, which really that you know, that's really important when you're making liquor based cocktails is using fresh ingredients. And so I, I kind of imagine that it was much more preferable just to drink a bud or a miller because cocktails kind of sucked. But couple of the famous cocktails, one was Long Island iced tea. I'm sure everybody's heard of that, if not had them before. Not exactly my favorite cocktail. It was, certainly was not my favorite cocktail to make when I was bartending because you have to grab so many different bottles to, to make one drink. So I didn't really want to highlight that one because I don't really like it. There's one that I think is kind of interesting, and it's very similar to the cocktail that we did last time, but it has a very specific name. It's called the Alabama Slammer. Okay. (laughs) And the Alabama Slammer just kind of sounds like something that, I don't know, uh, it it could have been a blitz package from the 80s defenses. Uh, (laughs) And so I figured we'd highlight this one, but here we go. It's, it's, It's pretty simple. It's one part slow gin, so that slow gin makes a comeback again. It's one part Southern Comfort, one part Amaretto, and then you fill it with orange juice. That's it. So sounds a lot like that screwdriver variation that we talked about in the seventies episode, with yeah. but this one has a very specific name, Alabama slammer. Again, I've actually, I've actually had this one. This was still being ordered when I was bartending and it's not bad. And so I think it's, this one's actually kind of worth a try. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was a player from Alabama who got a sack and they called it the Alabama slammer. We'll just
2: go with that. I love it. I love it. I, I thought for sure you're going to go with the, Miami Vice Mojito. Oh, was that a, uh, super popular in the 80s because of Miami Vice? Yeah, it was uh, the very popular t- TV show of the 80s, and I, I guess a popular drink at that time, too. So I, I, I would have bet money that's where you were going. But once again, you surprised well, me. I, yeah, I did
1: not come across the mojito as the popular drink of the 80s. But you, you may have got me on that one. I'll have to go back and do more research. But you actually are going to lead off with the U.S. history of the decade because you said not a lot going on in the 80s and we want to get to real football. So
2: why don't you go ahead and recap it? We're going to keep it real short. This is the decade of Reagan. So Reagan gets elected and. And then re-elected in two landslides jeff the the entire map is red you're not going to see electoral college maps like this anymore Uh, times are pretty decent especially for the upper middle and upper classes uh tax cuts across the board deregulations business is booming um and that's why he serves two full terms and then george hw bush takes over the end of the decade so that's all kind of boring so maybe some exciting things is LA hosts the Olympics in 1984, uh, 1989 the Berlin Wall comes down, which is kind of signifies the end of the Cold War, us versus the Soviet Union. That's pretty much it, and I know there's a lot more. But Jeff, we got we got football to talk about, so here's the picks. <laughs> All right. Here's the pick, Jeffs. So you get yeah. pick one. Right. Going to the arcade, an Atari, a Nintendo, or a Sega Genesis. I was
1: a Nintendo kid. I know you were as well. And I don't remember spending a lot of time in arcades. And so I've still retained some love of the console. So I'm going to have to take the Nintendo.
2: Congratulations. You are correct. You can play Tecmo Bowl, the original Tecmo Bowl with Walter Payton, Jim McMahon and company. Sure. Next category is TV. Pick one. Family Ties, Cheers, Dallas, Growing Pings, Miami Vice or Golden Girls.
1: Uh, cheers. Cheers was big. My family actually owned a bar at one point in my life, and
2: uh, we were big time into the Cheers in my household. Cheers holds up. I was, I thought for a second there you would choose Golden Girls, but you came to your senses. <laughs> Category is music, Jeff. Michael Jackson, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, Whitney Houston, Madonna, Beastie Boys, or NKOTB, otherwise known as New Kids So well, We know the block. you're going to take New Kids, so... I am going new kids. <laughs> uh ACDC's <laughs> tough to pass
1: up for the for the 80s rock. And so I, you know, I still listen to some of their stuff. I think I'm gonna have to go with that.
2: You, you really can't go wrong with any of these, but I, I might go I might go Guns N' Roses just because I just I thought they were so cool back in the day. Even into the early nineties, I, I thought they were really cool. Last category, tough one, Jeff, movies. Ghostbusters, E.T., Back to the Future, Beverly Hills Cop, Indiana Jones, Top Gun, and Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> wow. I mean, they that last one's really, really tempting.
1: I, you know, I would have the, the probably the movie that had the biggest pull on me for some reason was Top Gun.
2: That is incorrect, Jeff. This is a Chicago Bears podcast, and so you should have gone Ghostbusters <laughs> with Chicago super fan Bill Murray. Sorry, two for three, Jeff. Two for two for three is isn't yeah, bad. Oh, no, that's
1: good. I think there was a famous song about that.
2: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we'll get to some more famous songs later in this later in this. Podcast. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, let's let's recap this decade. So. Again, it's worth mentioning I, that we were kids, and so keep that in mind. I, and Matt, I actually kind of have a question for you up top. Do you do you remember of course. what the first game, first Bears game was, like what year that you can actually kind of remember watching
2: it? I I remember were it's either 89 or 88 or 90 somewhere in there. We're playing the Broncos at Mile High Stadium. I want to say it's an overtime game. And just it was Bears and versus John Elway. Because I, my, my vivid memories of first watching Bears games is the Bears games are always on. This is back before you mm-hmm. had all the Sunday ticket NFL red zone options, only the big games were on. And right. it, it just seemed that I think John Madden just must have loved covering Bears games because they, they were, you always had Madden and Summerall. They were the A game on CBS at the time. CBS was hosting the or was covering the NFC games. And so they were always on. And just it was just it was so fun to watch because we didn't have the thousands of options of things we have to watch now. It was my family didn't get cable till like early like 92, 93. And so like this was must see TV. I going to watch the Bears. And I just, that's that's what my Sunday is watch the Bears. And there wasn't much better than that. So you're thinking like eighty eight, eighty nine, and I think that's consistent because the first
1: game that I can remember was the Fog Bowl. And oh, I know people, wow. oh well, the Fog Bowl's always yeah, or no, no, no. I can remember the Fog Bowl because it was New Year's Eve and I remember my mom saying, You need to take a nap because it's New <laughs> Year's Eve and you need to be up for New Year's with your grandparents, right? And so I remember having to go into the bedroom and she put the TV on because I was insistent that I needed to watch this game. Of course, even at six years old, I was, uh, you know, had to make sure I watched this game. And I then I remember on this little tiny black and white TV just how hard it was to watch the game because, mm-hmm. well, the Fog Bowl. And so that's the first real memory I have, which would have been about six years old, which I think makes sense, you know, that that, that would about as early as about as far back as i can remember so keep that in mind we weren't really watching the we were there during the 85
2: super bowl but come on well know, how we're, we're how, how fitting is that too because that's that's buddy ryan versus Dickka. that's bears Eagles, uh, and so what, what a what a fitting game for the decade jeff
1: absolutely so recap the nfl not a lot of things happen no real movement of teams except for one there's no expansion the only movement is that in 1984 the baltimore colts move in the dead of night to indianapolis and howard cosell had the famous report about them you know just absconding with the team in the middle of the night that's really it like it just the nfl just stays steady in terms of number of teams and playoff formats and all that kind of stuff the big stories in the nfl are the two labor disputes and strike shortened seasons so those happened in 82 those are largely credited with paving the way to free agency, a more equitable split of revenue between owners and players that we see today, a lot more player movement that we see today. That didn't happen before these two strikes. And so these are really important. We talked about it last time with Walter Payton, you know, not having that full complement of games over that time. You know, 82 only has nine official games. 87 has 15, but three of them are played by the Spare Bears, and other re- <laughs> yes. replacement and Sean Payton yeah exactly I have a little fun trivia there Uh Sean Payton uh, head coach of course of the New Orleans Saints he was a spare bear at 87 he finished his career as quarterback of the Chicago Bears during the 87th season eight for 23 no touchdowns and one interception Yikes, yeah, those are Jonathan Quinn numbers <laughs> and interestingly enough all of the talk about Taysom hill <laughs> in the current saints iteration Taysom hill has seven complete passes no touchdowns one interception so maybe that's why sean payton likes him i don't know <laughs> <laughs> bears record during the 80s 96 and 60 it is oh my goodness the greatest modern decade it's the best decade since the 40s the bears win their division five times they obviously win the super bowl once and here are their five playoff appearances and how they end. So in 84, they lose the NFC Championship game to San Francisco, 23-0. Ugh, rough. 85, they win with the most dominant playoff performance ever. They don't give up a point in the first two rounds of the playoffs. They only give up 10 to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It's a 15-1 regular season, 18-1 overall. Considered, obviously, one of the best teams of all time with probably the best defense in nfl history Mm -hmm. 86 they come back they have just as good of a defense if not statistically better they go 14 and 2 in the regular season but unfortunately they're bounced in the divisional round 27 to 13 at home against washington 1987 again that spare bear year they go 11 and 4 in the regular season but they lose again to washington in the divisional round 21 17 and then in 1988 12 and 4 regular season they lose at home in the championship game to San Francisco, 28-3. to So, you know, you look at that and you think, hmm, maybe one left on the table, maybe two left on the table.
2: Well, it, at least one. And again, since we weren't conscious during this time, football conscious, looking back on it, it's it's amazing how dominant were they, they were for that one year. A lot of questions as to why they couldn't win more. I'm, I'm worried, Jeff, that... You're gonna look at the 2016 Cubs at some point as much the same way, where the Cubs win that World Series in 2016. Oh, we're gonna win two or three of these, and it's not looking great for that right now. But how tough it is to just win one? Uh, absolutely, and you know it just kind of speaks to the dynasties that do happen.
1: Obviously, we're recording this in the middle of the Last Dance documentary series about the Bulls. And just realizing the the repeat, three-peat and how amazing it was for the Bulls to do that when we were growing up in the 90s. But just how hard it is in football and, and how, you know, yeah, we'd love we'd love to see another Super Bowl title in this run. But, you know, it didn't happen. Do you, think uh, that adds, coaches, do you think that adds to the mystique of it? I, I no, I don't. I think that if they would have won another, if they would have won an 86, I mean, it would have been just as, it would have even solidified it even more. Mm, interesting. But because Chicago culture, I think, was just taken over, and I think it was just this this whoosh through, and then you look back, and there was only one championship. It's like, really, is that possible? I really, I really hesitate to think it's it's uh, because it was a one year thing that it's thought of so fondly. They were, they had chances. Yeah, Bears coaches during this decade. So Dicca takes over in '82. And Dicka lasts through the rest of the decade and into the early 90s. He finishes his coaching career in Chicago with a mark of 106-62 and 62 with a 6-6 and 6 playoff record. So Coach Dicka, not Dicka the player, Coach Dicka. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode. He was, you know, volatile with the press. I think he could be volatile with his quarterbacks, and I think he probably trended to kind of an out of control personality i think he's you know brought that player mentality to the coaching uh headset i think he's the type of old, old school coach that probably wouldn't be very popular today with players uh, maybe i'm wrong i'd be kind of curious to hear what you think i actually think jim harbaugh who mm-hmm. is a guy we'll talk about next episode uh, former Chicago Bears quarterback that played for Dicka I think that's the closest modern example in the NFL, and he really quickly wore out his welcome in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm not saying that his approach for the time was bad or wrong or anything like that, but I think it's a style that can wear really thin, and kind of looking back through a modern lens is kind of interesting. You know, we teased this a bit last time in the 1970s episode, but Buddy Ryan was hired under the previous regime. He was retained under Dicka through the 1985 season, largely because of a letter that the defensive players wrote, including Gary Fensick, kind of taking one of the lead roles. Jim Osborne, another one of the lead roles in that. And that convinced Papa Bear that he should keep Buddy Ryan under Dicka. So kind of a forced marriage or arranged marriage, if you will, between Dicka and Buddy Ryan. These weren't people that had worked together before and obviously after the super bowl ryan leaves takes over as head coach of the eagles and during their time in chicago i think it's fair to say that buddy ryan and mike dickett didn't get along very well but i think let's be honest buddy ryan didn't really get along
2: well with a lot of people no famously (laughs) punched uh what the offensive coordinator of the oilers in the 90s kevin gilbride kevin gilbride yes and
1: so i guess my here's my question for you because i think there is a there is a lot of love in chicago that's handed out to the defensive coordinator in general because this has been a defensive football club for a long time and there is a lot of love to buddy ryan and i think well-deserved loved for buddy ryan Mm -hmm. but let me ask you this question how do you break out credit for the most successful modern decade do you, how much credit do you give to buddy ryan and his 46 defense how much credit do you give to Dicka and his you know hurricane Dicka personality and motivational figure and finally how much credit do you just give to the talent that was accumulated on this team and through smart drafting and development
2: well that's a hell of a question jeff um the the coach before Dicka was neil armstrong correct Neil with two L's, because he had a lot of L's, yes. So apparently this was a this was the inmates running the asylum. There's some story about a, a wide receiver who came in during the game and had to make a personal phone call, and, just, and then Armstrong found out and didn't do anything. So here's my answer about Ditka. Ditka was the perfect guy for the job in 83, 84, and 85. And I think a trend you're going to see amongst a lot of the coaches and players is I think that success in 85 kind of gets them off course a little bit. I think Dick uh, gets a little full of himself, 86, 87, 88, and loses sight of the ultimate part of this to answer the last part of your question is that the players are unbelievable, Jeff. The, <laughs> right. the, the, the players are unbelievable. And as someone who has coached a lot I'll be the first to tell you, players are going to win you the games. And if you're having a great season, it's probably nothing too special that you're doing as a coach. The players here, Jeff, are unbelievable. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Buddy Ryan because Buddy Ryan is a defensive genius. But in 85, they're running the 46. In 86, they switch schemes with the, I think it's Bill Tobin that comes in Mm -hmm. as the defensive coordinator and their numbers are just as good. Granted, they don't like playing in that as much, but their numbers are just as good, Jeff. These are amazing players. And so I think ultimately, when you look back on this, if Ditka and Ryan Ryan could have swallowed their egos, worked together, I think the Bears win in 86 and maybe 87. Because clearly the ingredients were there under that system. But, Jeff, this just wasn't sustainable. I keep coming back to these stories about at practice. The Bears are on offense. They want Buddy Ryan in the defense to, you know, hey, be the Vikings this week or be the Lions. Give us that look. And Ryan just won't do it. He He's totally not going along with the program. And as a coach, that pisses me off to no end. And so Ryan had to go. All right. uh, Ryan can't stay. It's amazing he lasted as long as he did. And so I think Ditka gets a lot of the credit to get them to that point. I think Ditka also gets a lot of the blame for why they don't ever get back to the Super Bowl. And I think Ryan gets a lot of credit for innovating defenses, rightfully so. But uh, he had a huge ego, and I think that got in the way a lot too. It was not sustainable what they were doing, but ultimately the players are great, Jeff. Great players will win you games.
1: Yeah, I think I kind of come down to just amazing talent accumulation and development. And I think that this defense, the level of talent on the front seven, I think that they could have succeeded in a lot of schemes. I don't think that Dicka brought anything to the offense that was particularly creative, but he actually, because of those great drafts was able to produce some pretty incredible running games and so mm-hmm. we'll get to that at some point in this show and so you know for me i really just think it's a it's kind of a this is a moment where you really tip your cap to the general management and accumulating a lot of talent and then of course coaching has to put them in the right positions and coach them up but they are have some amazing drafts that we're going to talk about too so uh i i hey, Jeff to kinda... can i
2: ask you a real quick question because i know we're taking yeah. up a lot of time on this but I, I was thinking about it this way what if you put bill belichick in a time machine put him back during that time mm-hmm. How many Super Bowls did the Bears win? Oh, I mean, they win five straight, right? <laughs> they win five straight. And so <laughs> in some way, that shows you Dicka and Ryan both, God, they, they could have done so well if they just would have worked together. But two huge egos, it wasn't ever going to work out.
1: Well, OK, so let, let's do this. Now, this is a, this is different because it's not when Dicka was going to get hired. But I, I have a very interesting what if on the coaching front, and okay. we're just going to deal with it here. So the two best offensive minds of the era who are they
2: of the 80s yes well you're gonna to have to go bill walsh right and let me think real quick who else is there bill walsh and uh, who Who would be the second one i'm not so thinking. don Coryell. oh
1: okay of the chargers yes okay so so widely considered those guys are the two best offensive minds of their of their generation so the bears coaching job it's open in 1978 season They're interviewing people. They're interviewing people kind of in secret, which, you know, kind of funny today. No one interviews in secret today. Everything's kind of open public record. Paul Brown, the great Browns at Bengals coach, apparently was very, like, actively negative about Bill Walsh in conversations with other clubs. Okay. And he effectively blocked him from getting some opportunities over his time. So, I mean, Walsh was not please that he was passed over he left went out to san diego for a year and then he went to uh went to stanford and became their head coach Mm. and so walsh is trying to get back into the nfl he interviews for the chicago bears opening in 1978 don Coryell also interviews for the job Coryell ends up taking the job in san diego and walsh doesn't get the offer for the Chicago job and stays in Stanford for one more year, and then he gets the job in San Francisco the next year. Instead, the Bears hire Neil Armstrong. Again, we know that that doesn't work out. Walsh, he obviously wins three Super Bowls with the Niners. He's in the Hall of Fame. He goes into the front office. They win another Super Bowl. He's incredibly successful. Obviously, West Coast offense, all that stuff is, is his baby. coryell more wide open passing game. Uh, it was very successful in San Diego. There, he's actually a head coach that a lot of people talk about. He probably should be in the the Hall of Fame because of his innovation, but never won a Super Bowl, so it's it's kind of a hard sell for a lot of people. But he's been a Hall of Fame finalist uh, multiple times. But the what if is what if they go in a different direction and they don't hire this Neil Armstrong guy who clearly is not a very good coach. He's like you said, he lets the players run wild. He was described in Jeff Perlman's book as like a, a room temperature bowl of vanilla pudding. <laughs> and,
3: <laughs> and
1: so I'm to remember that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, the, the question is, well, just think about the different world, right? I mean, because almost certainly Walsh had his eye on Montana Montana was a third-rounder. He could have been got by any NFL team. So think about Bill Walsh as the Chicago Bears head coach and Joe Montana as the quarterback. Or think about Don Coryell coming in and opening up a new brand of offense in Chicago. Think about that. Knowing that little bit of trivia, my question to you is, would you trade the history of the 85 defense and Buddy Ryan for Bill Walsh's offensive innovation? And you know, let's be honest, brilliance as a head coach and personnel guy.
2: Uh, yeah, no heartbeat. And here's why: think of, and even forget Joe Montana. Put McMahon and Peyton in the West mm-hmm. Coast. McMahon is perfect for the West Coast. He's a smart QB. He's accurate. He's not going to take as many big hits down the West Coast because they get rid of the ball quickly. You got Peyton who can catch the ball. You got Sue who can catch the ball. So. Oh, man, that's scary. I'm assuming they're getting all the same players in this alternate universe. Well, I'm wondering in the
1: alternate universe, because it would be 1978 that a lot of the, you know, a lot of maybe the defensive players aren't prioritized as much as they were under this regime.
2: Okay, that's it's still interesting. But I guess I'll answer it this way. How many Super Bowls did the Niners win in the 80s?
1: Uh, I I think it's four total, I, I, or well, it's three in the '80s and then one
2: in right the away in 1990. Yeah, so yeah. I I think most Bears fans, I, I would assume, you trade in four Super Bowls for one, but maybe for some people, the allure of the '85 season is too much. But since I didn't live through it, I, I would I would answer. I'm going with Bill Walsh. It could be
1: the Lakefront offense, instead of the West Coast offense.
2: <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, you, you I
1: thought of I, that, for me you? that's good. For me, I think it's, uh, I I have to agree with you, and and just would be fascinating, but it is an alternate history kind of thing, and obviously didn't go that way, and Bears, been around for 100 years, and there's a lot of fun ones that we've already covered, but this one's kind of like the, you know, the one that's like, what? Bill Walsh? Why didn't we hire Bill Walsh? That's crazy. Of course, the Bears also interviewed Bill Belichick at some point, too, so. Wait, wait, hold on, what? Yeah, they were, they they uh, interviewed Bill Belichick
2: at some point, like in the in the, we're talking in the eighties or, no, 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 it was in the nineties. Oh, before they hired Jerron, uh, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. I was in such a good mood today. Why would you have to bring that up?
1: Well, maybe we'll cut this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. V-A-N-29.com.
1: All right, so Matt, you, you just mentioned McMahon, and, and we're going to we're gonna let you start off with him in a minute, but we're going to carry a couple guys over from the 70s episode. Obviously, Walter Payton and Gary Fensick, key contributors to the 85 team. Jim Osborne, as we talked about last time, defensive tackle. He retired the year before 85. His last year was in 84, but he was there for that first division title and playoff run. But the guys we're going to cover today, all of the guys that we picked, they were key to this 1985 team. You know, some of them stuck around for quite a while, but the all of the guys that we're going to talk about today were on that Super Bowl team and key to that run. But I can't think of a better way than to start off with the Punky QB.
2: So take it away. Uh, the Punky QB, Jeff. Jim McMahon. You're right. Probably not a better place we can start. Fifth overall pick in 1982 out of BYU. I think maybe the best stat for him is... Out of the 61 games he starts as a Bear, they win 46. Oh, wow. When he's healthy and he starts, they win. They win a lot. He's not huge. He's 6'1", 195. I think what's really interesting about him is they he's out of BYU. They think they're getting some clean-cut, mormon or something <laughs> i said they, they don't really do their homework back then right and there's the famous story and you know he shows up with a beer he's got a dip in when he meets at Hallis hall and everyone's just shocked and uh, the most interesting thing about all this is his contract negotiation with Hallis. again Hallis notorious in contract negotiations but mcmahon mcmahon is just the type of guy that he's not going to put up with it so he walks in Hallis has him waiting outside the story goes Hallis was taking a nap he finally meets with, <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, he's, he's an old man. You need to ask sure. him that. But House meets with them, proceeds to, you know, tell McMahon everything he can't do. He can't throw. He's fatish you know, all this stuff. And McMahon's just like, okay, well, then why'd you draft me? And House lowballs him. McMahon walks out. Now, a part I just learned about that I did not know there's the Chicago Blitz at the time of the sure. USFL. Sure. McMahon meets with George Allen. Verbally offers him a contract. Now, he's only got two days for this to work. This is the only summer that rookies, the league was saying, rookies have to be signed by the end of July. Otherwise, they can't play. It's like the only year that happened. And so, McMahon, you know, he doesn't think this is going to happen. So, he he ends up signing with the Bears because that's all he thinks he can do. He's pissed about it. And he didn't think he was even going to go with the Bears. He thinks he's going to end up with the Blitz. And so he's not in any shape. <laughs> I guess his first training camp, they had him run a mile and a half. And every single person on the team beats McMahon besides like some fat offensive guard. And so not a great start for, for Jimmy Mack. But you know, I, I'm not going to just tell McMahon stories because all these stories are known. I think what's really interesting is how good he was at BYU. And you were just talking about offensive innovators. His head coach at BYU was a guy named Lavelle Edwards. Now, here's the three top guys in the Lavelle Edwards coaching tree, mm. all of whom were kind of around the time of McMahon. You've got Brian Billick, Super sure. Bowl winner. You've got Mike Holmgren, Super Bowl winner. You've got Andy Reid, Super Ooh. Bowl winner. These are the guys that Edwards you know, influenced. Here's his stats at BYU, Jeff. 4,500 yards, 3,500 yards, 77 combined TDs his last two seasons there. Not he, bad. He finishes in the top five of the Heisman twice. He's a stud, but BYU, they're playing the type of stuff that you're talking about. They're wide open. They throw the ball all over. They're doing this for the at the time is very innovative stuff. McMahon gets to Chicago. They're running just the most vanilla, boring offense under Ditka. It's turn around, hand it to Payton. And that's all they're doing. Now, all these players talk about how smart McMahon was. Just just he's this football savant. He can change all these plays. Everybody knows he how many plays he would change at the line of scrimmage and it would be the right call. So the way I see it is McMahon is that bored kid in the classroom. He's not mm. being challenged. He did not have the right environment to really be, you know, to put up huge numbers in. Because he never puts up very good numbers. Because he I think he's stuck in this really caveman type offense that didn't really suit his strengths very much right now he's the right guy though for the 85 bears because he's the only guy that can stand up to dicka you know he gets yelled at dicka on a daily basis and he just tells dicka to f off he doesn't he doesn't care all the other bears quarterbacks of that time tom tomzak Fowler, harbaugh like they can't handle them they can't handle dicka big man is the only one that can and he's he's a leader of men jeff he's a leader of men and they all, all his teammates, you know, they all swear if McMahon just would have stayed healthy, they would have won more. And so I think the real, another really interesting thing here is is cultural impact. The number of kids that must've, you know, wore headbands and, mm-hmm. you know, this guy walks around with a dip in and he headbutts his linemen. And I'm sure the number nine jerseys were flying off the shelves and, it's just an interesting career of course him and Ditka, they just they can't get over their relationships he eventually gets traded to the Chargers and he bounces around but he still wins he has a i believe a 8-4 season with the Eagles and then a 8-4 season with the Vikings randomly in like 1993 or 04 and so this guy's just a winner and i think if if he were a player today i don't think he's a first round draft pick i'm not sure he gets drafted because they would they would poke him apart in terms of maybe raw physical ability, but if he got in the right system today, I think he would be a heck of a quarterback. Um you know, you know who here's a modern day comp? How about Gardner Minshew? You know I got I, I was thinking that today and I, I thought, well, oh, it's not really good enough," is it? But No, and no, maybe not talented, but the swagger. The the swagger uh I, you know, I kept thinking he's far without the arm that's that's what i keep thinking he's far without the big time arm because he's mobile he's daring he just doesn't really care what people think and maybe that's a little too much but it's it's fun to think about if you got with like a Nagy or a sean payton today it's fun to think about what this guy could do because he's so smart and to be quarterback you got to have two things you got to be smart and you have to be able to handle the criticism that comes with the position. McMahon didn't care about anything. He just wanted to play ball. And his teammates loved him. Here's this great story. I don't think this is a story many people know. There's this wide receiver for the Bears, Brian Bashnagel. I don't even know how to say his name. Bashnagel? Bashnagel. He's at the end of his career. This is 83-84. Barely plays. Barely gets any catches in the games. They're at a practice. They're in the huddle. And McMahon says to him, hey, you ain't gotten a ball lately. I'm gonna, I'm going to get you on this one. And so the wide receiver is like, oh, okay, whatever. And Bashnego goes out <laughs> wide, and you can see in the coverage. Well, he's, he's double teamed. And so he's like, oh, he's not going to throw me the ball here. That would be stupid. And so he runs this route, and sure enough, the ball comes to him in double coverage, and he gets a catch because McMahon thought he needed a touch. Now Ditka just loses it and swearing at McMahon, what the hell are you doing throwing it in double coverage? And does McMahon say, I was just getting this guy a ball? No, he just says, oh, hey, sorry, coach, I messed up. That's why those guys love him. Yeah, he did not care about dickett McMahon was always going to do what he thought was right in the games, and you know what? He was usually right. He was usually making the right decision. but Yeah, I, it's just a fascinating player. I don't know if he can play in many eras besides this one. And if he if he was around today, he would need to dedicate himself a little more physically and in the off seasons instead of. Uh, Guess he was notorious to showing up uh to camp with a bit of a beer belly on him, but yeah, those were the eighties, man. It was different times. I think a lot of people were like that. Camps were much harder. You didn't
1: necessarily keep yourself in shape in the off season, you let camp do that for you, round into shape, you know, with camp and and so I it's not just a McMahon thing. I think that's an eighties thing.
2: God, what's the Browns quarterback name? Who are you talking about? Now? Well, now. Baker Mayfield. Yeah, Baker Mayfield, maybe that's another comparison. I know Mayfield hasn't had a lot of success yet, but just like that type of swagger that Mayfield has, that if he ever wins for the Browns, the Browns are going to love him forever. Cleveland's just going to love him forever. I think you kind of can see that with McMahon. Bears fans love McMahon. They love him.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent modern day comparison too. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and you're right. I mean, McMahon's is just universally loved and he has a very interesting career after the Bears. You know, like you said, bouncing around, it goes to Chargers, goes to the Eagles, goes to the Vikings, goes to the Packers. Like he's just kind of everywhere. and just kind of sticks around, but because he's such a good football mind, you know, and he's can play quarterback, like those guys can stick around. So
2: doesn't he wear his Bears jersey to the Packers White yes. House? Because the Bears didn't get a go, because I, I passed over the history of the Challenger space shuttle exploding, so the Bears never got to go uh, to the White House. So right. man just says F, and I'm wearing my Bears jersey. That's, that's so awesome. They
1: they did go. Uh, they did get an invite from the Obama administration. So yep. the, mm-hmm. the the eighty five team went during the Obama administration. So all right. So imagine trying to only cover eight players from this '80s team. How do you do that? You know, okay, we, we brought in Peyton and Fensick from the last episode. Okay, great. I'm cheating. I'm taking the entire offensive line, and we're <laughs> going to cover that right now. Because I think it's it's easily the best offensive line in the modern Bears history, and I think it can argue for the best offensive line in team history. And so I thought it was only appropriate that we talk about the entire offensive line. Let's just start with this. They had a poster mat called the Black and Blues Brothers. And it's not just the starting 5, it's all nine offensive linemen on the
2: team. That's so awesome. You had that poster if I'm not mistaken.
1: I think I had all the posters. I know I had the Samurai Mike poster, I, you know, I, I I think I had some of these other ones, but they're I don't I don't have it today. It's but it's that is a an amazing <laughs> decision by some marketer to say hey, we're going to put the entire offensive line on a poster and so these guys you know they're really good and i think they deserve this poster and so let's go through the starting five uh they all started in the 1981 draft keith van horn and jay hilgenberg van horn first round pick number o- number 11 overall and then hilgenberg any guess matt where he was drafted what round
2: uh, i want i thought he was a free agent i didn't think he was drafted but i could be wrong
1: Dang it. Yeah, I thought I was going to get you on a trick question there. Uh, he was an undrafted free agent. Out of? so Out of the University of Iowa. So Darn right. Hilgenberg makes seven Pro Bowls and two first-team All-Pros. He's a borderline Hall of Famer at the pivot position. I don't think he'll ever get in there. Uh, his career wasn't super long. He's probably a few first-team All-Pros short, but it, he has a very similar career to Olin Kruitz. Hmm obviously a guy we'll get to eventually in in another episode. I imagine that if I was a little older during this time and into offensive line play like I am now, I would have loved to meet more. You know, obviously our family was into... Uh, hawkeye football and so that was a big deal having a hawkeye on the team van horn he played for 13 years all for the bears he's a really solid right tackle not not a guy that earned a lot any postseason honors or anything like that but a really good road grader at right tackle and i think maybe the most famous or memorable thing about him was that really big neck roll that he wore yeah Um, absolutely and so I always, I always liked that. I um, always liked the big guys that wore the neck roll. The next guy that was added to that line was Hall of Famer and sixth overall pick out of Pittsburgh, Jimbo Covert, in the 1983 draft. So he goes very high up in that very famous 1983 draft with all the quarterbacks. Covert recently inducted into the Hall of Fame with that senior committee anniversary team that ed sprinkle also got in on so he's part of the nfl's uh, 1980s all decades team made a couple all pros uh, made a couple pro bowls. but for a very short career he was a premier performer shut down a lot of really good rush ins during mm-hmm. his time and just really served as a as a really incredible left tackle same draft mark bortz another iowa player he was taken in the eighth round uh, they sl- slotted him right into the guard spot. He played all 12 of his seasons with the Bears, made a couple Pro Bowls, really good, solid offensive lineman. And then the last piece of this puzzle is Tom Thayer, our beloved radio announcer, color commentator. I lo- love listening to Thayer and Joniak on those radio broadcasts. Uh, Thayer's such a homer, and it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> he He played eight years at guard for the Bears, his first being in 85 despite the fact that he was drafted in 83 in the fourth round and you talked about the chicago blitz and i got another blitz story he signs with the usfl because the chicago blitz guaranteed him a contract they guaranteed him money in the contract whereas the nfl wasn't gonna do that for a rookie and so he makes a financial decision to say okay i'm gonna go play for george allen and i'm gonna play for the chicago blitz because he's from the chicago area and so he wants to play in chicago there's no guarantees that he'd be drafted by you know the bears or anything and so he signs this contract and then a couple hours later the bears draft him so it's literally one of those like a couple hours oh apart. wow bears had no idea that he signed this contract with usfl it wasn't announced there's was no twitter back then or anything like that and so the bears actually drafted a player that had already committed to the usfl Here's the crazy thing about the Chicago Blitz, and I don't know if you know this story or not. At one point, the entire Chicago Blitz coaching staff and all of their players are traded to the Arizona Wranglers for all of their coaches and all of their players.
2: Uh, I explained that, Jeff. I've, 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 I've never heard that, but that that
1: makes so no So there is this crazy story about one of the owners of one of those two teams wanted to get out and the person that wanted they wanted to sell it to uh was interested in uh, acquiring a team but then there was like this someone didn't want to travel to the games and so they lived in Arizona and so they basically they bought the Arizona team but they like got the Bears players and they, whatever it was they traded the entire roster and coaching staff Chicago and Arizona flipped because ownership changed
2: that's that's crazy dead
1: serious happened so so thayer signing this contract with usfl thinking well i want to stay in chicago here's my chance to stay in chicago he does for one season and then the entire blitz roster gets traded to arizona (laughs) like that's a real thing that really happened so usfl folds thayer comes back the bears still have his rights so he starts his first year in 85 so lucky for him that he was able to do that here's basically that that those are the players i think you just bears fans should just know that offensive line it's a really good offensive line and here's why i think you should know it and obviously you got Peyton, but like here are the bears ranks in rushing yards starting in 1983 that's when the majority of those offensive lines in place obviously thayer doesn't get there it's 85 they are first 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 13th in 1987 with the spare bears third second and second in 1990. And then those guys are starting to age out and you know they' they're, they're, they're kind of hanging on or they're starting to retire and the rushing offense kind of goes and look, I get it. They had Peyton. They had a very good Neil Anderson after Peyton. But I to me, this is the reason why Walter was able to actually increase his out, output in the 83, 84, 85 years and uh, why Neil Anderson was able to come in and have immediate success. This is an incredible offensive line, and I think it arguably rivals anything that the Bears have ever seen,
2: including the great line in the 40s with Bulldog Turner. What's so cool about it is that's the line that we started watching. Those guys are all there into the 90s, right? I know Covert gets hurt. I think he has to retire after 90, but the rest of those guys are there until what, 91 or 92. Yeah, you're right. So Thayer's there till ninety-two,
1: Bortz is there till ninety-four, Covert ninety-one, Hilgenberg ninety-one, and Van Horn ninety-three. So you can see they're they you know, when you have an aging offensive line at the end of their career, there's a reason why those numbers go down. But those guys peaked together and played together. And that's something you don't see very often now in the age of free agency, but those guys playing together for that long really just push that rushing offense to perfectly pair with this great defense.
2: Uh, yeah, that's, that's that's a special group right there. All right, so speaking of great
1: defense, the rest of the players that we're going to cover today are on defense because, deservedly so, this is the 80s, and the first guy that we're going to talk about is Danimal, Dan Hampton.
2: The Danimal, Jeff, 6'5", 260, it's a Hall of Famer, was the fourth overall pick in the 1979 draft. So really one of the first big pieces that gets put in this puzzle of a championship team. Breaks his arm and leg. He's playing in a tree as a kid one day. Falls out. Gets told by the doctors hey, you shouldn't be playing sports. So he gets really into music. Plays like four or five dist- different instruments. He's in the marching band at high school. Doesn't even play football until the football coaches beg this guy. Because this guy is huge walking around school. And they finally sure. get him to go out like later in high school. And he's a stud. Gets a scholarship to Arkansas. And is a great player there. And I love the story of... The Bears are, you know, they're scouting him, deciding whether to draft him or not. So they bring him into Chicago, and you know, Buddy's the defensive coordinator at the time, and goes into this room with Buddy, and Buddy's not saying much. He just he's putting on film, putting on film, and he's just watching it. And then finally, he says to him, he's showing him footage of Alan Page, the great Viking, who finished his career with the Bears, and he's like. You know, I can get you like this guy. I'm paraphrasing him. I can get you playing like this guy. And Hampton's like, oh, yeah. He's not saying anything, but he's just, you know, it was clear right away that Buddy Ryan saw a lot in Dan Hampton. Because once they draft him, you know, Buddy Ryan is supposed to hate rookies. He's notorious for hating rookies. Right. He loves Hampton. Hampton is the golden child, starts right away. I'm unlucky in the sense that. 90 was Hampton's last year and you know he he wasn't playing at full strength that year and so I never got to see you know I'm Dan Hampton but you know this week I've watched a lot of 80s Bears games there's you can find them all over YouTube it's great he is unbelievable he he is he is so he has so many moves that he can do on the on the defensive line it's unbelievable Jeff this guy was incredible They line him up all over, he can go over the center, he can go, I think he starts inside and then they move him outside, and now they got McMichael and Perry, so he goes back outside with Dent, and this guy can play everywhere. And I love the modern day comparisons, and I'm not the first person to make this comparison, it was actually Rex Ryan, who compared J.J. Watt to a Dan Hampton. Yeah, and when absolutely. you watch it, it makes total sense. They're the same height. Watt's a little heavier, but 2020. Yeah, well, yeah. that's, that's, that's Eric Hampton was very big is. for his size, but he moves so fast it is scary. And, you know, you can just watch the highlights all day. You know, I watch the games, and he has to be double teamed. If he's playing inside, he has to be double teamed because he's so quick off the ball. You know who is the most important person on that defense? I, I don't know, but a lot of the coaches at that time said you got to prepare for Hampton first, and you because you can't single team him. You have to prepare for Hampton. You got to know where he's at because you can't block him one on one. And uh, you know the the JJ Watt stuff was funny, and I was this is very random, but I love it. I was in this kind of comment section of this chat room about it, and they're they're talking about the comparison between. JJ Watt and other players. And it comes up that Watt is hurt quite a bit, which is unfortunate, but true. And there's this comment by this guy named anytime 23. And in reference to JJ Watt being hurt. And he says, Dan Hampton would have played with two torn pecs and a decapitated head or something. Bear down. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think that's the perfect, that's just so perfect. Like, and that shows you the love people have for these 85 bears. And my my last Hampton story is, it's late in his career, they're playing the Bengals, they're winning, but Brad Muster, there's a name for you, Brad Muster fumbles, the Bengals recover, and they go down to kick a field goal, but Hampton blocks it to steal the game. (laughs) And when asked the comment about the Muster fumble after, Hampton said, if I had a knife, I would have stabbed him. (laughs) These... Are, that's why people love these guys. Yeah. These guys said exactly whatever they wanted to. And they, I mean, obviously he's saying it tongue in cheek, but man, these guys just, they said what was on their minds and I love them. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's what we call a perfect segue because
1: a guy who spoke their, spoke his mind and said, whatever he wanted is Steve McMichael. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He has one of the best nicknames of all time, Mongo. Ming the Destroyer is another nickname, but I I prefer Mongo. Look, here's the thing about Mongo is that we have, for every episode, the two of us have drafted the eight players that I've curated to talk about this decade. You have been very kind and have given me the first pick every decade. I always offer you, do you want to pick first or do you want me to? And my first round pick was Mongo. And And I was so upset. You were very upset. There were curse words thrown around. Okay, fine. We got over it. We picked out the rest of the draft. A couple days later, I get a text from you (laughs) and it says, uh, hey, confirming my choices. And you try to sneak Mongo in as one of your four players. And I immediately respond with you sneaky son of a and you laugh. Ha ha ha. And so I, I, I believe you that you didn't remember all of your players, but I think you were absolutely trying to sneak McMichael because you wanted to talk about Mongo. But I'll let you talk uh, after I get through my summary here. But fair enough. I'll tell you, he is he's obviously got a guy that's just honestly simply fascinating to talk about, but I want to talk about like his actual football stuff first. So 191—that is the number of consecutive games played as a bear by Steve McMichael. It's a team record. He's wild. I think he honestly might be kind of crazy, but oh, I actually he's crazy. Yeah, but like he's also just incredibly entertaining. So he's drafted by New England actually in the third round of the 1980 draft. For some reason, doesn't work out there, and they release him after one season. So the Bears pick him up. And for the first couple years, he's he's a rotational player along that, uh, that defensive line. Doesn't become a full-time starter until 1983. He ends up playing 13 years for the Bears. And over that time, he has 92 and a half sacks playing defensive tackle, which I think is a really strong number. That's a that's a really impressive total. But he's also just incredibly consistent. Again, he just he doesn't miss a game from 83 to 93. He records at least seven sacks. 9 seasons which wow. i think is ridiculous
2: for an interior lineman, for, for a defensive cow.
1: tackle and, and just consistency right and then he has 10 or more sacks 3 times so to me that's that's an incredible year two time first team all pro and again, he's, this is another one of those borderline Hall of Fame players. We've got a lot of those in Bears history, which I guess makes sense. you got a lot of Hall of Fame players. you got a lot of guys that are close but probably aren't going to make it. To me, he's very much in the neighborhood of a Jay Hilgenberg, Olin Cruz, probably Lance Briggs, like these guys that are the Hall of Very Good but probably won't get into the Hall of Fame. I understand uh, why they're not in, but it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they snuck in at some point. <laughs> Non-football stuff about McMichael. He's a quote machine. Anytime a local reporter wants to just gin up a headline about the current Bears, all they got to do is call Monco. He'll give it to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, he – he I think one of the most famous things is he called Doug Flutie the midget. Uh, he happily will tell any reporter at any time that current players aren't built like they used to be and they couldn't have played when he was playing – uh, I remember seeing him once. He was dressed in all black, and the uh, the host, you know, kind of, hey, well, you know, what's with the what's with the all black? And he said, "I'm mourning for the future firing of another Bears coach because of Jay Cutler," and <laughs> and it's like, well, like like I don't know it's like sometimes he's kind of annoying. Sometimes he's really funny, but he is always entertaining. So it's probably not surprising that he joins WCW Wrestling after his playing career is over. And he wrestles, he commentates, uh, but basically he's just an entertainer, right? So in 1996, I thought this was funny. Certainly had I knew he did the WCW, but in 1996 he actually won the award for Worst Announcer. Oh, really? <laughs> so... Apparently he wasn't very good at the announcing part, but then he actually does more wrestling. He wins the WCW Heavyweight Championship belt in 1997. So he must have been like a really talented heel, I imagine, that he he's kind of perfect to be a heel. Here's something that I find interesting, and I kind of knew this, but I, I, had, never di- I had never really gone into it much, but he was the head coach of the Chicago Slaughter, mm-hmm. which is the arena football team it's actually not like a bad record. He goes 58 and 44 over his time as head coach, four and four in the playoffs, and they won the league championship in 2009. So not like, not bad. Uh, In 2012, he ran for mayor, of Romeoville, Illinois and somehow he got 39% of the vote. <laughs> and and then uh he plays in a band with Dan Hampton and Otis Wilson called the Chicago 6 fascinating guy again i think he's just a born entertainer i do think he's kind of crazy and then i think there's kind of an act but i think it's real like it kind of bounces back and forth but just a like a really really good player and then just super interesting and funny and and kind of just a epitomizes that 85 team because he just says what's on his mind and he's just kind of everywhere giving his opinion so do you have anything to add about mongo
2: yeah he well i mean you covered All the great stuff, and I I could listen to him talk all day. Mm. There's so there's so much of these 85 bears looking back on everything, and during all the interviews, there's just a way he talks. I I could just listen to him all day. I could listen to him list off recipes all day. (laughs) I I would just be hooked. And fascinating guy. I don't think it's an act. I think there's just he's just a little different in a good way, in a way that in a way that really suits him well for football and professional wrestling. He was uh, you know, there's there's some guys that have dabbled in professional wrestling like Lawrence Taylor, Dennis Rodman, Carl Malone. There's some other football players that have, but no, he he became an actual wrestler like full time for a numbers a number of years after being a like you said near Hall of Fame football player and. Just a a crazy, crazy guy. It's it's, it's scary to think what he you know. It it's scary to think how much he would have to be tamed if he played today. Like you can't be like him or a lot of these Bears players today. Which for for entertainment value is unfortunate. Hey guys, it's Jeff. We went a little long on this
1: one. So like your favorite cassette from the '80s, flip it over to side B and keep the conversation going.